You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 3, Episode 9. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy. Coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. And listeners, it is unbelievably beautiful today. Now, maybe that's overstating a little bit. But here in Lethbridge, I look outside my window here in my office at Stringham LLP. And I see sun. I see clear skies. I see not a stitch of snow anywhere. And balmy temperatures of 14 degrees Celsius. So those of you... Uh, who are outside of Canada in tropical locations are probably laughing at me, but that's okay. Coming from uh, a Canadian who's used to harsh winters, I will take every single day like this without any complaint. This is beautiful. And I was also able to ride my bike this morning and return home via bike tonight, thanks to the weather that has been cooperating with me. And I can tell you, last winter was a nasty winter. It started to snow in October, and I don't think it stopped until April. So needless to say, um, Mark here put on a little bit of weight over last winter. And after trying to cl- uh, claw some of it back away <laughs> over this this year, I'm now in a situation where I'm faced another harsh winter. So I guess I'm going to have to curtail my love of food. But anyways, those are all things that you folks really don't want to listen to. But I can't help myself when you've got your own podcast and you have the ability to say whatever you want to uh, broadcast and publish to the world all of the personal details that no one really wants to listen to. Well, there's no producer here behind me telling me, Mark, stop talking about that. So this is designed to be fun, this podcast. And it's pretty easy when you're talking about legal things to um, to just get super dry and technical. And ugh, I never wanted my podcast to be like that. So with that big amazing lead in there's been some pretty crazy changes here in our country and uh the topic that we're covering today in this episode is a reflection of some of those crazy changes now we've danced about this um topic a little bit or i should say danced around this topic a little bit in the past with some of my previous guests but this time i was able to bring on um, someone that is a, a foremost authority, at least I view him as, on this topic. And without further ado, and those of you who are watching this, uh, sorry, listening to this on iTunes, you can clearly see, you know what the topic is. So there's no suspense. It's not like I'm doing this live, but it's the Cannabis Act, right? It's this whole legalization of cannabis in Canada and the impact that it has on not only all of the many, many other areas of, of practice, legal practice, employment, you know, there's just uh, everything from residential tenancy. You, you could pretty much see the Cannabis Act having an impact in some form or fashion on, on everything, business law, you name it. But today, and because this is the Canadian Immigration Podcast, what we're going to look at is the impacts of this new legislation and the legalization of uh, cannabis or marijuana on cross-border travel 
Canadians going to the US, Americans coming on up here. And so um, for some of you who are wondering, well, what's the big deal, Mark? What's going on here? Let me give you a quick snapshot of this Cannabis Act, just so you understand the parameters before I jump into my uh, awesome interview with Henry Chang. So the Cannabis Act became law October the 17th of 2018. So there were three aims essentially that the government is, is extolling as, as the, I guess, the goals for creating this act. One, keep cannabis out of the hands of youth. Okay, obviously I don't smoke marijuana at all. I, it just doesn't, it, it's not me, so I'll, I'll qualify that. But I'm, I'm just not seeing how legalizing cannabis is going to keep it out of the hands of youth. But that's okay. I have my view. This is my podcast. Everybody else in the world can have their view, and that's totally fine. I shouldn't probably provide commentary. I'm just trying to give you the deal, you know, just the way it's set up now. So ignore that last comment. No, I'm not going to go back and re-record this. Number two, keep profits out of the pockets of criminals. Yep, I agree with that one 100%. Protect public health and safety by allowing adults access to legal cannabis. Okay, I got my own view on that. Don't smoke it and you won't have to worry about it. But hey, there's a whole massive industry growing around this now because it's legal. And hey, if you can drink alcohol, what's the difference between uh, alcohol and marijuana apparently is the view. And so no judgment here. You guys go do whatever you want. But that's the basis of the Cannabis Act. All right. Whew. What does it mean? What is it actually authorizing? Well, adults who are 18 years of age or older are legally able to do the following things. And this is what's changed. So possess 30 grams of legal cannabis, dried or the equivalent in non-dried form in public. Okay, great. Next, share up to 30 grams of legal cannabis with other adults. So isn't that nice? You can share freely. Next, you can buy it, whether it's dried, fresh, the oil form or whatever from a provincially licensed retailer. And uh, you can also grow your own up to four cannabis plants per residence for personal use. And you can even make cannabis products <laughs> such as food and drinks at home as long as organic solvents are not used to create concentrated products. And uh, cannabis edible products and concentrates will be legal for sale approximately a year after the Cannabis Act came into force on the 17th of October of 2018. So you can see this is basically what's happened. So you can use cannabis just like you use alcohol for, for all intents and purposes. And uh, that is the world that we're in. So now that it's legal here, we know that in some states in the U.S. it's legal, but not all. We know that immigration legislation in both countries is at a federal level. So just because it's legal in some, uh, some states in the U.S., like Colorado, um, does not mean that uh, um, the, the federal immigration rules are going to treat it the same way for Canadians traveling into the U.S., and in like manner, when Americans are coming up to Canada, it's important to understand the ramifications of that. So I am, um, uh, well, let's just say I recognize where my limitations are. And so the thing I love to do most on this podcast is to bring on the people that are really driving the ship, the people that know what they're talking about, that understand um, the topic that we're covering. And when my deficiencies are apparent in a certain area, I bring on the experts. So that is what I've done today with my guest, Henry Chang. So let's jump to that interview right now. 
Well, I am here with uh, Henry Chang, a, a longtime friend, and uh, super, super happy to have him join me on the podcast. How are you, Henry? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Henry is a partner with the law firm of Blaney McMurtry in, in Ontario, and uh, I was going through his bio before our little interview today, and I, I noticed that he has a new addition to the areas of practice uh, on his firm website. So he's got immigration, I know he's heavily involved in international trade, a little bit of corporate commercial, but now he has cannabis on the list, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, this is a new thing. Our firm just started a cannabis group, as many have, uh, because we, we see the potential for the market. Clearly. Well, Henry has been um, a member of the Law Society of Ontario and the State Bar of California uh, for many years, <clears throat> excuse me, and I, I, it's pretty easy. If you don't know who Henry Chang is, you're probably not following anything related to immigration in Canada or the U.S. He's one of the, the top lawyers in, in the field of business immigration. The Canadian Legal Lexburg Directory, Who's Who Legal, Best Lawyers. Um, he's got an AV, which is basically a permanent rating, the highest possible rating from Martindale Hubble. So Henry's a big deal, and I'm, I'm really, really excited to have him uh, come and join us to talk about cannabis and in particular um the effect that this whole world of legalization is going to have on canadians heading down south and any of our fine american friends who are coming up and looking to uh take advantage of the new world of uh, marijuana legalization in canada so this is going to be fantastic but before we get into that henry how the heck did you get into immigration in the first place um, it's it's a very sad story. I was <laughs> going to be an M and A lawyer. I, I my undergrad was in business admin. I was all geared up to be a corporate commercial lawyer, and then the recession hit, and I couldn't get arrested in this town. So uh, I had already written my California bar exam as well, so I could do cross border corporate work. Uh, and I started getting calls from people saying, "Look, I just got a job in Silicon Valley. Can you help me get a work permit?" And I was thinking, "No, I don't want to do this." I said, "No, we'll pay you whatever fee you want. We'll, we'll pay." And and I thought I'll do this for a couple of years and then I'll get out of it. And as you know, that's really a trap because There's, you're never getting out ever. <laughs> after your first year of practice, moving to a different practice area is virtually impossible. So yeah. 26 years later, I'm still doing it. <laughs> I think that pattern is, is one that pretty much all of us business immigration lawyers uh, can, can follow. We never intended initially to get into it. And then once we've got in, it's you're not getting out. So you just make the best. You adapt and, you know, try to try to niche down. And obviously, that's something that you've done here on this whole marijuana um, topic. So before we jump into the specific questions, I'm going to get Henry talking because that's the best thing about these podcasts. Um, I want to point our listeners out to two awesome uh, posts, blog posts that he has uh, got up on the Blaney McMurtry website. Uh, the first was released actually back in April on the 30th of this year, 2018, entitled How the Legalization of Marijuana Will Affect Your Ability to Travel to the United States. I have to assume, Henry, that that one resulted in quite a few opportunities to talk to the media and explain and really is, you know, to a large extent, has launched you as one of the authorities in this area. That article probably... Uh caused a lot of people to just go to sleep nobody seemed to care back then uh, i'll tell you when the media started exploding was you know maybe a month ago as it, as we got closer to legalization people started taking notice and you know I, I have a broad range of media contacts and i i usually pitch them for stories to tell them look you should be writing about this and this marijuana issue has i've been pushing for months 
And only until very recently did anyone actually think it was a good idea. So I'm scratching my head. I don't know why it wasn't a big deal back in April, but um, it just became a big issue over the past month or so. And then I was doing in media interviews all over the place. So, yeah. uh, you know, I was fortunate that they came to me because they, they presumably went online and they saw a bunch of different articles written on the subject that they previously were not paying any attention to, but uh, now felt it was very important. So I, I was very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And you and obviously you've got, you know, you've got the foundation for it. Um, there's a lot of Canadian immigration lawyers who uh, try to extol the, you know, the virtues of their U.S. bound work, which <laughs> without a U.S. call is probably not the best thing to do. <clears throat> but the the reality is, uh, yeah, you're, you've been well positioned to, to do this. And that original article, like a lot of I should say, unlike a lot of the fluff that's out there. People can go on there and just find all kinds of regurgitated articles that they've, um, you know, robbed from one another. But your your content <laughs> is always really good. It's it, you know it's based in law and uh, and very insightful. So I'm going to also add to our listeners list the the most recent one that you released October the 9th of this year entitled Canadian Companies Should Educate Their Employees Prior to Marijuana Legalization, which is another awesome article uh, for all of you. Um, businesses out there that are wondering what the heck you're going to be doing, you know, trying to deal with uh, your employees doing the whole cross-border travel thing. So great articles. I'll put links to those in the show notes. And without further ado, Henry, let's jump into this topic. Um, all right. So let's let's start with the area of Canadians traveling to the U.S. post-legalization. So what are what do we need to be aware of? Well, uh, let's just say we're living in interesting times right now because a lot of People like Canadians or maybe foreign nationals in Canada are thinking, you know, marijuana is legal now. All sins are forgiven. I'm free to travel to the U.S. and nothing I do or have done will cause a problem. And that's unfortunately very false, uh, as I'll explain. Um, one of the things people don't understand, of course, so maybe they do understand, but not everybody, is that former convictions prior to legalization are still going to bar you per, uh, for life. Uh, and so those aren't going away. So that's the first issue that I want to raise. If you have a conviction for marijuana possession, even a small amount, you are still barred, according to the U.S. government. Now, they did announce plans to pardon people on an expedited basis recently. And I, of course, had a little chuckle when I heard that because <laughs> it makes absolutely no difference under U.S. law if you have a pardon. Zero. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not a it's not deeming the offense to never exist, they're simply sealing the records, and the Americans don't care about that. So that's point one. If you've got a conviction, you're you're out of luck, you are barred, and even if you get a pardon, you will continue to be out of luck. So that is, uh, I guess, the first issue worthy of mention. Yeah, very and much so. <laughs> the second scenario that comes up is, you know, I, I've never been convicted of marijuana, but I smoked <laughs> marijuana when I was 18 at a rock concert, and I did it quite a bit when I was in high school. Is it a problem? They think, no, it's not a problem because we've got legalization, and I've never been convicted. Well, the problem is this. You're admitting to a crime that was committed at the time that it was a crime, and it is still a permanent bar to the United States. You are making an admission to a criminal offense that is, that's uh, involving controlled substances. So that is a problem. And even if you make the admission to an officer after October 17th, it is still a bar. And many Canadians don't realize that. So what about our politicians, Henry? <laughs> I don't think half the politicians understand U.S. law either. Especially the ones who, who have... Uh 
publicly acknowledge their their use of various forms of uh, of, well, okay, uh, of let's drugs. Talk about, let's talk about Prime Minister Trudeau then. <laughs> Perfect example. He publicly admitted that he smoked marijuana at the time when it was illegal, of course, right? Uh, and he is he did not make the admission to an immigration officer, so there's that. Um, he's traveling on a diplomatic passport yeah. while he's a prime minister, so there's that. But here's the problem. Uh, what if he steps down and he starts using a regular passport like everyone else? At that point, the officers have seen him publicly confess to committing a crime uh, while he was prime minister. And if they, if they see him coming across the border now, they theoretically should ask him about that public confession. And if he now admits to them that he smoked marijuana prior to legalization, they should be banning him for life. So, so what if someone denies it? Oh, well, that's a different issue. Uh, as you probably know, there's a, a separate ground of inadmissibility for material misrepresentation. Yes. So if you lie about your prior marijuana use and they find out, you are barred for life for that reason alone. Now, the question that comes up is, oh, okay, well, they'll never find out. They'll never find out that I smoked marijuana at a rock concert. And I, I have to leave everyone to their own conscience on that <laughs> because, uh, yes, I mean, people say, how are they going to find out? And, and my answer is, if you feel that way, why don't you just run across the border under cover of darkness because they may never catch you. <laughs> the reality is you have to assume they will and look at the consequences. So I and, tell and people, why. Yeah, and in our world of social media, give me a break. You may not have said anything, but all your friends are posting all the pictures of you token up uh, on your, your, your various social media accounts. So you better go through and purge all those first before you make the, <laughs> you make the trip. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and they will Google you, by the way. They will look at your social media if they, if they can access it. Um, but getting back to the point of, you know, should you lie or not? Or what should you do if the question is asked? Uh, and I get this question asked a lot, and I don't have a really easy answer for you. If you say, yes, I smoked marijuana when I was 18, you're barred under controlled substance grounds. If you lie about it and they, they pressure you until you confess that you lied, you're going to be barred from misrepresentation. What we are, many of us attorneys are saying is, uh, the only thing you can do is refuse to answer the question on the basis that it's irrelevant or it's a fishing expedition. Now, I, I've warned everyone, if you do this, there will be implications. You will probably be detained for an extended period if you're at a land border. Uh, after the preclearance regulations come out, you could be detained for an extended period at, at, at Canadian airports, too. Um, that That's not going to go away. And if you do manage to uh, you know, get back to Canada, the next time you travel, it's just going to come up again. So don't think of this as a solution to the problem. At best, it's deferring the inevitable until you can seek legal counsel, and perhaps your attorney can negotiate something with the border, maybe get them to realize that the question was totally inappropriate. It, it, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do, but there is some hope. And if not, if you have to make an admission at that time, you're doing a carefully curated admission with the help of an attorney who, who knows how to minimize the damage. And that's the only advice I can give. Exactly. So I'll put the contact information for Henry Chang in the show notes for the podcast as well. <laughs> so you can give him a call. Uh, any other particular issues on, you know, that we haven't yet canvassed on the whole general nature of Canadians traveling into the U.S., Henry? Um, yeah, actually, the last one, well, there's two points, actually. The, the one I wanted to mention next was, what if you smoke marijuana after legalization? Mm -hmm. Let's say you've never smoked, but... You know, two days ago, it's legal now, you decided to smoke marijuana, and you've been doing so on a regular basis since legalization. You may think you're home free, but again, you are not. <laughs> uh, the reality is, yes, true, you will not be charged with a criminal offense anymore. Uh, 
and uh, you know it is not it's not necessarily going to fall under the controlled substance ground of the U.S. Immigration Nationality Act, but there are separate grounds of inadmissibility that could still be applied. And I will give you the two examples that I, I frequently cite. One is drug abuser or addict. If you are found to be a drug abuser, you will be barred indefinitely based on that reason alone, regardless of the legality of what you've done. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is the uh, inadmissibility due to mental defect. And it seems strange to raise that issue, but uh, alcoholism is often raised as a mental defect where there's associated harmful behavior. So if you are an alcoholic and you exhibit associated harmful behavior, you can be banned from the U.S. for having what they call a mental defect. Uh, and I'll give you an example of how this could work. Let's say I'm driving impaired because I'm high on marijuana after legalization. Driving uh, uh, under an impaired state is essentially harmful behavior. So if you are dr driving while high on marijuana in, in in an inebriated state because of that, that is sufficiently sufficiently harmful behavior to potentially warrant a bar under mental defect. So that's also a cause of concern. Now, the, the good news is that these two grounds require a medical opinion. So what will happen is if they find out that you're using drugs legally after October 17th, the officers can't immediately ban you. What they're going to do is they're going to tell you you're not traveling today. You're going to go to a, uh, their approved panel physician for an exam. That medical doctor will determine whether or not they think you're an abuser or an addict or person with mental defect. And if they come back saying that you are, you are banned. Even if they come back saying you're not, you've now been uh, inconvenienced because you have been, you've been unable to travel until this is done. Right? Right. So you are being turned away, maybe not permanently, but you're being turned away. But I, I will give you a, a, another sort of dire warning that there, there is very limited exceptions for this drug abuser provision. Uh, even you know sporadic use can be considered drug abuser behavior. <laughs> but uh, they, I think there was a reference in the guidance that said merely experimenting once would not be a bar. So if maybe you experimented with marijuana after legalization one time just to see what it was like and you're never going to do it again, maybe the panel physician will come back and say that's not uh, uh, the activity of a drug abuser. But it, it's the threshold is low, let me put it that way. So um, there's a good possibility the panel physician could very well say that you are in fact banned as being a drug abuser. Wow. So there's a danger there. And it's not like you can just refuse to do it, right? Like you're, you're oh, going to be in the exact yeah. same boat as if you refuse to answer questions. And yeah, uh, you, re you can refuse to do it, but you will not be traveling to the U.S. Yeah, yet. yeah anytime soon. So, you know, yeah. and you know, having worked on the border, you know, the, the officers always paint the picture, we don't profile, right? But the reality is if an officer doesn't like you, for whatever reason, and wants to find a reason not to let you in, this opens up the gate wide. Um, you know, when I was uh, when um, I was working on the border, you know, some people would come in, and you just, for whatever reason, you just realize, you know, what this maybe isn't someone we want to have in. So we would always rely on insufficient funds. Sorry, I'm not going to let you in. You do not have sufficient funds to support yourself while you're in Canada. Well. This this whole provision just gives one more uh, one more tool in the toolbox for for U.S. officers if they really don't want to let you in. Uh, exactly, and, and I, I should mention there was uh, there was some official uh, policy that mainly addressed employees of cannabis companies, but they did say and they confirmed what we've already heard that the CBP officers are not going to make it a practice of asking everyone about 
marijuana use just because of legalization. Now, uh, that doesn't mean they're not going to uh, uh, on occasion, because even before legalization, they were doing it. They yeah. just didn't do it every single time. And they're saying we're not changing our policy on who, you know, on who or when we ask. But you can expect that random questions will happen just for no reason, uh, perhaps because of profiling, perhaps because they just decided to ask every 10th person that question. But uh, they claim they're not going to change the type of questioning that they're they're doing at the border for Canadians just because it's legal here now. But that doesn't mean they weren't doing it before. They certainly were. Yeah. They were doing it uh, not every single case, but uh, there would be cases where these random questions would be asked. Well, I'm going to brook another conversation with you in about a year's time, Henry, to come back and join us to, to see what the fallout is. All right. Let's, you hinted at these uh, employees of can- Canadian cannabis companies. Okay. So, so give us some light on that situation, because obviously the industry is going to expand. There's going to be lots of new empl- uh, Canadians with new job opportunities. How is this going to impact them traveling to the U.S. for their road trips to Vegas? Well, until recently, we were actually quite worried because the Customs and Border Protection had basically said that if you were an employer or even an investor in a marijuana company, as far as they're concerned, you were a trafficker or a person aiding, abetting, or colluding with traffickers, which is, a, a you know, the Pablo Escobar ban, basically, right? So, you know, if you were a janitor working at Canopy, would you be banned according to that statement yes you would be or if you bought 100 shares in aurora would you be banned according to what cbp had originally said you would be right so that was a very scary situation fortunately about two weeks before legalization happened customs and border protection changed gears a little bit which was very unexpected but very surprising and pleasantly surprising they issued a policy statement that said if you are Uh, an employee of a cannabis company, but you're entering for purposes unrelated to marijuana business, you are still admissible to the United States. And so essentially, if I'm going to Vegas for the weekend or going to Disneyland with my family, the fact that I may be CEO of, of, you know, one of these companies does not mean that I'm barred because of the trafficking ground. So that's good news. That was something that they were actually going to do to people. And that is now something that's off the table. So that was great news. But does it go far enough? And is, uh, you know, every employee or investor of a cannabis company home free? I think that, you know, there's certain things we can extrapolate from this statement. They did not specifically mention investors, but the same rule should be applicable. If you are perhaps an investor in a cannabis company, but you're not entering as a representative of that company or on behalf of some sort of marijuana activity, you are fine. So I'll give you an example. I'm a typical investor in Canada. I buy 100 shares of of Tilray or Canopy. Am I going to be barred for that? According to the the policy statement, if you extend it to that scenario, the answer would be no, you're not going to be barred just because you bought 100 shares of of one of these companies. So that's good news as well. Um, And even a significant investor uh, in, in one of these companies as long as they're not entering on behalf of that marijuana business, they are theoretically also not barred for trafficking. But does this answer all of our questions? And, and unfortunately, it does not. I'll, t- I'll give you some scenarios where we're still uncertain what's going to happen. Perfect example is I'm going to a marijuana conference being held in the United States, mm-hmm. perhaps on behalf of my employer, perhaps just, you know, maybe I'm a lawyer or an accountant and I represent some of these companies and I'm going to the conference. Am I going to be banned as being... Uh, a trafficker or a person aiding and abetting the trafficking activity. And it, it really comes down to how you interpret the the term, you know, entering for reasons, you know, other than the marijuana business, right? I mean, if I'm going to a marijuana conference on behalf of my employer, 
theoretically I am entering. That's going to be a hard argument. Yeah. And so uh, could I be banned as a trafficker because I'm attending a marijuana conference? And unfortunately, I don't know. The answer is yes, possibly yes. And so that's a concern that has still not been resolved. The other type of scenario that, I, that sometimes comes up is, let's say you're representing uh, one of these large cannabis companies and you have a U.S. investor and you're going down to meet that U.S. investor on behalf of your cannabis company as a representative of the company that he's invested in or she has invested in. Is that related to the marijuana business? I think it's very easy for an officer to claim that it is if they want to bar you. So that is an unresolved issue as well. So employees uh, and significant investors of cannabis companies are not home free. There are still many issues that remain unresolved. And because there's no formal guidance on that, you're leaving it to the discretion of the individual officer that inspects you. And depending where you go and which officer you get, the outcome could be completely different. You are 100%, 100% right, Henry. Every single port, you know, even within the same port, you could come back, you know, uh, <clears throat> go one day, have no issues, come back the next day, same place, and have issues. <clears throat> so this will be interesting times as we as we see this all unfold. All right, let's flip it around, okay? Let's take a look now at the impact of our fine American friends who say, hey, let's go to Canada. It's time for uh, a little tour. Um, how are Americans coming to Canada for what I guess we could call marijuana tourism? Um, yeah, how does this uh, impact them? That's the term I'm hearing too, marijuana tourism. Um, this is an issue that's going to become uh, quite common because many Americans are expressing an interest to come up here and, and engage in legal marijuana use. Uh, the good news is when you come up to Canada as an American citizen, for example, and you tell the CBSA officer that you're coming up for tourism and that you're going to try marijuana, if you choose to, of course, mention that, there's nothing they're going to do to you. It's perfectly legal. So CBSA does not and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but yeah. uh, as a former CBSA officer, I don't believe CBSA will have any issues with you coming up on vacation and disclosing, if you choose to, that you are going to sample marijuana while you're here. Yeah. I think it is perfectly acceptable. Perfectly, yeah. So that is that. That's uh, you know that is something we can be certain of. The couple things that I should mention: importing marijuana is still absolutely 100% illegal. So do not bring your bring own. Bring your own. <laughs> when you come up to Canada, because you will be charged criminally for that. Um, the one question that did come up was, well, what about drug paraphernalia? What if I want to bring my, my bong or my water pipe with me? I'm not bringing drugs, but I want to bring my, my water pipe with me when I sample marijuana in Canada. And I had to think about this one, because I wasn't quite sure what the answer would be. Uh, I looked it up, and there is a, a criminal offense. I mean, it's, it's not a major offense, but it is a criminal offense to bring up instruments of illicit drug use. But the problem is, or the question, you have to read this in the context of the Cannabis Act. Yes. Uh, because it's passed, the... the Instruments for that. Is no, it is no longer illicit. So yeah. if you look at this and you say, okay, I'm bringing up something solely used for marijuana and not for something else, right? Um, I think that is legal, in my opinion, because it doesn't fall under the criminal offense of for drug paraphernalia. Now, I don't, I don't want to tell people to go, out, go ahead and do that. I'm still cautious. Yeah, we'll let someone else so test that theory, yeah, but the, I'm with you on it. The law is so new, we don't know how the Cannabis Act is going to interact with the other existing laws. I think it's reasonable to assume that that is the case. But if you're an American planning on coming up here, I would say buy a water pipe while you're here. <laughs> don't bring your own, just in case. But I, I do think that the, the section on instruments of, 
illicit drug use do not apply anymore to uh, instruments of marijuana use. You bet. It, and, and the reality is, that, yeah, and when it comes to the border officers, the, the reality is, you know, if you give them any reason not to want you, you know, to enter, to, to, you know, give them the impression that maybe you're not the kind of person they want to allow in. And understand this is Mark Holthy, who is giving a personal opinion. This is nowhere reflective of anything that an actual officer may believe or, or actually act on. But the reality is they will, if they don't like you, they're going to find a way to... Uh, to potentially return you back to your your dear country. So if you come laden with, excuse me, um, uh, paraphernalia and everything else, and, you know, whether there's trace elements of of, of seed or anything in your your particular um, uh, tools of use, I guess we'll call them, officers are just like anyone else. And if they don't agree with the bill, you know, they'll find a reason to, to, to turn you back. And so just be smart. That's the best way of describing it. Oh, and Mark, I should mention, you know, some U.S. citizens have said, well, okay, it's legal when I get in. What if I go back? Am I getting into trouble with going to get into trouble with the U.S. government? And I think the answer is no, because even though the Immigration Act does bar, uh, you know, foreign nationals who engage in in illicit drug use, you're a U.S. citizen and the immigration U.S. Immigration Act does not apply to you. So I think you're perfectly fine getting back into the U.S. As a U.S. citizen, you really can't be denied, and you can't be charged with anything. There is no criminal offense that I can think of that the U.S. side would charge you with. So you are, I think, fairly safe in engaging in marijuana tourism here in Canada, which is probably good for our tourism industry, if you think about it. I agree. Excellent. This has been fantastic, Henry. I really uh, appreciate you taking a little bit of time away. I know you've got a bunch of other things you got to get back to, but uh, this is a lot of fun. Um, obviously, I want people to consider you as the authority on the topic. So, when they um, when they run into issues and, and are uncertain, whether it's you know large multinational companies who are trying to figure out what to do here with this new law or individuals, what is the best way for them to reach you? Uh, and what the best way is to uh, probably schedule a consultation through my online uh, questionnaire, which uh, maybe Mark, you could provide a link to. Uh, Absolutely happy on the to. Site. Um, it, it, you know, I'm happy to advise anyone that has questions, but I, as you know, I, I don't give free advice. There's I agree. A yep. Process an intake process before we can actually provide any advice to anyone. But I'm happy to do it if they're prepared to comply with those intake procedures. You bet. That makes perfect sense. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Henry. Thanks for having me, Mark. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Well, that was another awesome episode. You know, I had to hunt down um, Henry for quite some time before I was able to pin him down and get him to talk on this topic. Uh, I actually uh, reached out to him initially when he first wrote that article back in April of 2018. And um, now it's finally, finally come the time where we were able to get our schedules to coincide and uh, he was able to spare just a little bit of time to share some uh, knowledge and uh, his expertise on this topic. And I think all the listeners can can confirm without a doubt that that was really, really exceptional. Probably one of the better, um, if not one of the best podcasts that we've done to date. So really appreciative of, of Henry coming on, taking some time and uh, and sharing some insight. And the thing I love most about Henry is the practical examples. It's one thing to talk about the potentials and talk about the law and you know the ways in which it might affect people. The the reality is his specific examples and and really they're almost like a case study. Um, really help to see 
um, how the law could potentially apply. So I'm really grateful for Henry coming on. Great, great interview. Um, and uh, yeah, there's going to be lots more to see as this evolves. There's, you know, there's lots more implications, one of which um, is recent or, or soon to be coming changes to the criminal code with respect to penalty provisions um, for substance abuse and driving. And cannabis is clearly the use of marijuana and being impaired um, is one of those topics that I'm definitely going to be covering here in the next few episodes because there are some interesting aspects to that that are going to affect the admissibility of people coming into Canada. And so especially, you know, uh, marijuana is, is one thing, but, uh, you know, driving under the influence um, is, is a huge, huge issue here in Canada. And the penalty provisions in Canada are being ratcheted up for that criminal offense. And there is, unfortunately, some, well, they're probably foreseen. I was going to say unforeseen consequences, but there are some significant consequences for foreign nationals and permanent residents who uh, ultimately are convicted of any of these similar type of offenses. So stay tuned for that. It should be great. Uh, I've got a lineup of even more fantastic um, guests that are going to be joining me. And I've got another interview with another guest that I'm going to keep secret uh, and not reveal until a later time. <laughs> and uh, that one is, I'm really looking forward to that one. But yeah, I've got a great lineup of new episodes to listen to. All right. Well, this basically brings this episode to a close. Um, I think all of us across the country that are immigration lawyers are hopping busy right now. There just seems to be more and more and more things going on. I know my practice has become a whole lot more busy and it usually does once the fall starts to settle in and everybody gets back into the grind and, and everybody's trying to get everything out before the Christmas season comes. So I think everybody fits squarely within that, uh, with that, within that realm. All right. I just wanted to also extend out an invitation to any of you who have great ideas for the podcast or would like to join me. Um, I always love to, uh, to bring on new guests, new ideas, new thoughts, and collectively, we all benefit from it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to go to iTunes where you can access and subscribe to the Canadian Immigration Podcast and get those feeds popping onto your uh, your Android or your iPhone. And um, so you don't have to wonder when the next episode from Mark is coming. All right, guys, have a wonderful, wonderful day. This is Mark Holthy, Canadian immigration lawyer, signing off and wishing you guys all the best as you navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Ciao. Greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your soil. This place I love, my home and native land We welcome all and with you we'll stand We'll set you straight with law, policy and practice Here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast Today. Hey.
Yeah.